0: Over these Sundays of uh, late summer and early fall, we've been delivering a series of messages on the book of Acts, which describes the first 30 years of the life of the church. And you know that Jesus promised a whole lot of wonderful things to us who follow him. Life abundant, life eternal, the power of the Holy Spirit. But you, do you remember he promised something else? He promised there would be persecution. That's the subject of our message today. The scripture for today comes from Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of his holy and inerrant word. On that day, which was the day following the martyrdom of Stephen, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just about two weeks ago, an article in the Wall Street Journal grabbed my attention. It was an article about how recently the Roman Catholic Church had beatified a Polish family. Now, if you're beatified, that's one step short of canonization, which is becoming a saint in the eyes of the Roman Catholic Church. Back in 1942 the German Nazi government decided to try to exterminate all the Jews in Europe. And in that same year, the Ulma family, Roman Catholics living near, near Makoa, Poland, they welcomed into their home two Jewish families who were fleeing from the Nazis. And for over a year and a half, these three families lived together in gracious harmony. But then some local person, collaborator, betrayed them to the Nazis. And so, on the morning of March 24, 1944, Nazi soldiers battered down the front door of the Alma home. They murdered the Jews found inside in cold blood, and then they brought out the Alma family out front, outside, to be an example for anybody else who dares to hide Jews. And they slaughtered mother and father and all of their children, ages seven, six, five, three, two, one. And later. Friends of the family went into that blood-spattered home, and they found Father Joseph Olma's Bible, and it was turned to Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And Joseph Olma had written in the margin, beside the story of the Samaritan, the word, yes, yes. It was his way of acknowledging that if you dare to be a good Samaritan, the cost can be very, very high. Before the risen Christ ascended from earth to heaven, he warned his followers that it would not be all easy going. Jesus said, "If they persecute me, they will persecute you also." He didn't say, "If they persecuted me, they might. Or they might, if you're a leader, he said, they will persecute you also. Now, most of us Christians in America can truthfully say, I haven't been persecuted much. That hasn't applied to me. And I must admit that during the 60 years of my ministry, I haven't suffered a whole lot for preaching the gospel Oh sure, back in the late 1960s, um, some pastors and lay people were persecuted for preaching the biblical truth about race relations, about racial equality, about the sin of racial prejudice. And My predecessor in Memphis, Maxie Dunham, uh, was forced to leave the state of Mississippi uh, over that issue. But the Civil Rights Movement and the martyrdom of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968 pretty well settled that issue for most Americans. Uh, An acceptance came to this country, by and large, for most people, of the equality of the races. I did get a taste of persecution 25 years ago when I was a pastor in Memphis. Uh, I had a liberal bishop. Who wanted to fire me he didn't like my theology and so he wanted to transfer me out of Memphis but you know what he got transferred instead of me (laughs) the Lord works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform nevertheless for the most part I must admit I haven't suffered a whole lot for my Lord. And I hope it's not because I've been too timid or fearful or haven't raised the banner of Christ high enough. The infant church was not even dry behind the ears when persecution began. The death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, just unleashed a flood of persecution. It was as if the Jews living in Jerusalem had all this pent up hatred of the Christians. And once they got a chance to, to unleash it, they did. And led by Saul, they invaded the homes of the Christians, hauled them off to prison, and they even killed some. Therefore, most of the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, except the apostles, were forced to flee from the city. Now, the Christians then did not realize it at the time, but their flight was fulfilling Jesus' purpose. Because Jesus' last command to the church was, Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, without persecution, those Christians would have stayed at home in Jerusalem where they were comfortable. But Jesus had a world to save, and he needed missionaries. Have you noticed that sometimes God has to let us become uncomfortable before we're willing to change or move? Because you know, when we're comfortable, we we tend to be satisfied and complacent, less dependent on God. Because maybe we feel we need Him less, more open to the possibility of of the uh, temptations of our culture. History proves that hard times are not the enemy of the church. You know what the enemy of the church? It's good times. That's when the church struggles. When the good times roll, uh, we tend to get fat and lazy, unwilling to try something new. On the other hand, hard times build strong disciples. You want proof of that? Today, today the fastest growing churches on earth are in China and Indonesia where the Christians are suffering constant persecution. Hard times, Bill. Strong disciples. The 8th chapter of Acts tells us what happened to the Christians who fled from Jerusalem. Instead of running scared, they ran and shared. Verse 4 describes those fleeing from Jerusalem. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Doesn't sound like to me they were looking over their shoulders in stark fear. And one of the Christians who fled from Jerusalem was Philip. And we're told earlier in Acts that he was a man full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. Where did he go? Believe it or not, Philip invaded forbidden territory. Verse 5 tells us that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. You see, for centuries, Israel had been divided into three parts. Up north, Galilee, where Jesus was reared. Down south, Judea. And in those two parts of the country, that's where the Jews lived. But all in the middle, that was Samaria. And that was forbidden territory for Jews. Why? Because the Samaritans were regarded as half-breeds. Half-breeds and religious heretics. And so a good Jew would not even speak to a Samaritan. Much less go through their country. Uh, The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And only the Christian gospel could break down those walls of religious and racial prejudice. Uh, Jesus himself started the process. Most good Jews, if they wanted to go from Judea up to Galilee, would detour. Go go east across the Jordan River. You you don't want to go through Samaria. No telling what could happen to you if you went through there. Uh Uh-uh, you detour. Jesus didn't detour. He went right through Samaria. And we know that one day he sat down beside Jacob's well at noon. And he did what no self-respecting Jew would ever do. He had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And in that conversation, she came to believe in him as the Messiah. And then she went out and spread that news all over Samaria. Imagine that. One of the earliest evangelists was a Samaritan woman. And in one of Jesus' most famous parables, really one of the top two, the hero was a Samaritan. The story of the good Samaritan. And then in Jesus' final instructions before he ascended from earth to heaven, he said, go witness even in Samaria. And good old Philip, he followed his master's instructions and refused to let the walls of religious or racial prejudice stop him. And the church in America today needs a whole lot more Philips. And I want to ask us personal questions. Are there any walls in your world or mine that need to be torn down? Who are your Samaritans? Who are the people that you have been taught to distrust or avoid? Now, like all of us sinners, those Samaritans needed Christ. Uh, Many of them were entangled in magic and evil spirits. They were like us in that they were seeking shortcuts to wonderland. Uh, And even today, a whole lot of Americans are seeking a one-way ticket to the good life. Some say, if I could just make enough money, oh, I would have it made. And if you ask them, well, how much is enough? They refuse to answer. And then there are some people who say, you know, if I could just make a couple of changes in my spouse, (laughs) I mean, life would be perfect. Or some say, if I could just get free of this health problem I've got, life would be perfect. But you know what? Even if those conditions were met, they would still not have peace of mind and joy in the soul because that is not something that comes from circumstances. It's a gift. And that's the only way you get it. Only Jesus can deliver that gift of peace of mind, peace in the soul, joy in the soul. Only Jesus can deliver life abundant, life eternal, and it only comes as a gift. And while our life in Christ is not free of trouble or heartbreak or grief, Jesus is in the middle of it with us, and he delivers peace, power, and joy. Our scriptural text for the morning tells us the most important thing Philip did in Samaria. Philip preached Christ. We're told that in verse 5 and then down in verse 12. We read, he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. The one thing that Satan cannot abide is the name of Jesus. It terrifies him. calls him to flee In stark fear. Jesus name is our secret weapon in the battle against evil. As I look back over many years. Oh yes. I can recall those midnight times of darkness. uh, Unresolved problems. uh, Grief. uh, Trouble. Not having the answers that I needed. Oh yeah. But you know what I found out? If in those midnight moments, if I just whisper, Jesus, Jesus, instantly his presence banishes darkness. It's a miracle. So, Philip preached Christ. Now you may be thinking, of course he preached Christ. There's no other gospel. Oh, yes, there is. There was then. There is now. There are a whole lot of false gospels being distributed around. The most common one in America, and it's even found in our churches, is called works righteousness. The sales pitch goes like this. Just try to behave yourself and love everybody, no matter how tough that is. And if you do it well enough, if you score 70 above or above on your lifetime morals test, you'll get a ticket to heaven. In other words, you'll earn your way there. That's works righteousness. Another false gospel that's being distributed in America and from some of our major churches on television is the prosperity gospel, teaching that if you're a follower of Christ, he will make you wealthy. May I offer a personal testimony? It has not worked for me. (laughs) And then there's the false gospel that I call the woke, woke gospel. And it goes like this. It doesn't matter what you believe. One belief is as good as another as long as it works for you. As long as you're sincere. And don't worry about sin because God is just all love, no judgment. And there's no such place as hell. That's a myth. And if there's a heaven, everybody's going there. Everybody. Therefore, don't worry. Be happy. Anything is true if it works for you. That's the woke gospel. And in contrast to all that rubbish, Philip preached Christ. He was like St. Paul who said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Our Methodist founder, John Wesley, endorsed that Christ-centered gospel. And when he sent those first Methodist preachers to America, he gave them just three words of instruction. Offer them Christ And the great preacher Charles Spurgeon used to say, we have a great need for Christ and a great Christ for our needs. And you've often heard me say from time to time, only Jesus Christ can satisfy and only the cross can save. Now to witness for Christ means to share, simply share the best friend one can ever have. Who is that? Well, he's the great one who went to a cross to provide the only way for us to be forgiven and saved. He is the great one who rose from the dead and blazed a path for us into eternity. He is the great one who shares our burdens and delivers joy to our souls. He is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And you don't have to be a preacher to share that message uh, laymen sometimes I think are more effective at doing it. Let me share an example. You've probably never heard the name of John Eaglin. Uh, he was a Christian layman uh, who lived in Colchester, England. And he awoke one Sunday morning in 1850 to find that it had been a great snowfall overnight. Four or five inches of snow on the ground. And so he knew that there would be very few people at his small church that morning for worship indeed that was correct even the preacher was snowed in but John Eglin went to church and there were 12 other church members there and there was one visitor 13 year old boy well several of the members said well let's just pronounce the benediction and everybody go home but John would have none of that he said no 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 we're here and we're going to worship And since he was the only deacon there, he he was delegated to preach. Well, obviously, the sermon was unprepared. And it was brief, 10 minutes. He took a few of his favorite Bible verses and wandered from one to another. But then toward the end of the message, there was a strange, powerful courage that came over him. And he was led to look directly at that 13-year-old boy who was visiting. And he said, "Young man, look to Jesus, Look, look, look." Well, did that make any difference? That 13-year-old boy, years later, when a man looked back on that day and say and said, "I did look." And then and there, the cloud of my heart lifted, the darkness rolled away, and at that moment I saw the sun. Who was that 13 year old boy? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, England's Prince of Preachers. And uh, Max Lucado adds a footnote to that story of John Eglin. He says, Tomorrow Spurgeon might be mowing your lawn or handing you a menu at your favorite restaurant. And the hero who inspires that person might be nearer than you think. He or she might be in your mirror. Now, I started this message by telling you about the persecution of the Ulmer family in 1944. I want to say to you that persecution of Christians continues just as Jesus predicted St. Paul added this prediction, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, not might be, not sometimes, but will be. Now, most Americans think of the average Christian today as a U.S. resident who is protected by our great Constitution and the freedoms uh, in our Bill of Rights, but that's not the typical Christian in 2023. Uh, The the typical Christian does not even live in America. Uh, The journalist David Neff sets this matter straight and he wrote this. The typical Christian today lives in a developing country, speaks a non-European language, and exists under the constant threat of persecution, of murder, imprisonment, torture, and rape. End of quote. And even in America, land of the free, home of the brave there are costs for Christian discipleship. Whenever and wherever Christians come out of the closet and fly the banner of Christ boldly and publicly, proclaiming the Bible as absolute truth, it will ignite fierce resistance. But what keeps us going in spite of the resistance? One of the great promises that keeps me going Is this one from scripture. The one who is in you. That is Christ. Is greater. Than the one who is in the world. That is Satan. The primary enemy of Christianity today in America. Is progressive secularism. And one of its evil offspring. Critical race theory or CRT. And you can see the battle Uh, that they wage against Christianity almost every day on TV news. You can see it break out often at school board meetings. Uh, Read the letters to the editor of your newspaper and you'll see it. It's there. Some major American companies have been so intimidated by progressive secularism that they use their advertisements to promote it. And I've been told by a reliable source, that even the Hallmark movie channel, long the bastion of love and purity, is beginning to compromise its moral standards. Progressive secularism is actually a false religion. Uh, Instead of celebrating one nation under God, we are urged to raise a fist or drop to a knee I'm all for dropping to a knee, but not to protest the country, but to pray for America. Rather than practicing good stewardship of this God-given planet, we are pressured to endorse disputed doomsday climate predictions. Progressive secularism seeks to divide the human human community instead of unite it. Whereas Marxism and communism uh, tried to divide The community according to classes, what class you're in. CRT divides by race, skin color. It claims that the most important thing about you is your skin color. If you're white, that makes you a victimizer. If you're black or brown, that makes you a victim. And there's no path for reconciliation. It's discord forever. How tragic to tell a little third grader that he or she is a victim or a victimizer. Now we Christians must learn to answer these godless claims in a godly way. If someone accuses us of being a victim or a victimizer, we need to say this. Brother, sister, you can see my skin, but you cannot see my heart. I have been born again through the love of Jesus Christ and he is transforming me. And you know what? He loves you as much as he loves me so he can do the same for you. That's the way to respond. A few months ago, the front page of the state newspaper advertised the annual pride parade in Columbia. And I was reminded of a statement by the Presbyterian theologian, Sinclair Ferguson. And by the way, he, he was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Columbia for over 10 years. Dr. Ferguson said this, Sin is never satisfied to just be tolerated. It demands to be affirmed and then later celebrated. Well, how should a Christian react to an invitation to celebrate sexual activity that is contrary to biblical standards. Certainly not by standing on the curb and cursing the marchers. That's for sure. A Christian should pray for the eyes of Christ that can separate sin from sinner. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Eyes of Christ that allow us to see every pride marcher as a priceless person For whom Jesus died. And if you call names. Like bigot or homophobe. Or racist. Or Uncle Tom. Just remember these words of Jesus. Blessed are you. When people insult you. Persecute you. And falsely say all kinds of evil. Against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Alan Payton in his book about his native South Africa uh, gave us these unforgettable lines. He said, when I get to heaven, which is my intention, the big judge will ask me, where are your wounds? And if I say I haven't any wounds, he might say, Was there nothing down there worth fighting for? There is no reason for us Christians to let persecution steal our joy. We ought to be happy warriors. We ought to count it a privilege that God has trusted us to champion his cause in this challenging hour. In Eugene Peterson's translation of James Chapter 1, verse 2. He gave us God's marching orders for us in the year 2023. Consider it sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Hard times build strong disciples. Therefore, Christian... Lift high the banner of Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now as we pray, I invite you to use these words of a great hymn as your personal prayer. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. In the midst of persecution, stand by me. When the host of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. Amen. And now let us prepare our hearts for holy communion.
1: Today is World Communion Sunday, so that means that Christians all around the world will be gathering at the Lord's table and we get to fellowship, not just with the people of Mount but by extension, with Christians all around the world. I want to invite our communion servers to come forward. And as they are, I want to share with you that this morning, when it comes time for us to receive, there will be five stations across the front. And if you have food allergies, there is a gluten-free station that will be just left, my right, your left, of center here. And if you have food allergies, we invite you to make your way to that. In the Global Methodist Church, we practice an open table, which means you don't have to be a member of this church or even this denomination to be welcome at the table. You need only to be able to respond to the invitation that we, is on your screen now. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Genesis tells us that in the beginning, God created. God created everything there was, the entire universe, earth and everything in it. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field... And then God scooped up dust, formed it in his image, and breathed into us the breath of life, created for communion with our creator. But it didn't take very long into the story of our faith that we humans disobeyed and our sinfulness and brokenness spread through all creation. But God is persistent and relentlessly pursued relationship with us. First, God gave us the law to keep us on the straight and narrow, but we quickly learned that we couldn't keep the law. Then God sent prophets to show us the way, but we didn't listen to the prophets and, in fact, persecuted them for preaching God's word. And then finally, God became flesh and lived among us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived his life as an example for the ways In which we are to live, and then offered his life on our behalf. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen.